here's another thing that I, I I only vaguely want to touch upon, but I don't actually want to know anything about kind of like the political situation, which is um, you had sent over a thing about uh, like some expose on the origin of Trader Joe's snacks. Hmm. Yes. So I kind of don't want to know how the sausage is made. Like, can, <laughs> can you explain? Can you can you give some vague detail on top of this? So, I I read the article. I I saw how the sausage was made, and I don't know. I I guess so. First of all, this concept that Trader Joe's themselves doesn't manufacture these food items that that's not a surprise, and I wouldn't think it's a surprise to anyone. If it is to you, I'm sorry. No, not <laughs> um, at all. Okay, and you know when you look at the specifics, the brands that are behind the Trader Joe's name, they're they're kind of what you would expect. There's nothing nothing super surprising. So are there are there like three main main companies just churning out all of the like salted pretzels and the the mochi bites and the my beloved ghost pepper ghost pepper potato chips? So each item that they use as an example in the article is from a, a different company. And there are only maybe I don't know, six or seven snacks which are discussed here, so there are plenty more that are, I guess, still a secret. Although I guess if you did enough digging on the internet you could probably find out, but um But yeah, I mean there there's not really not really anything too shocking here. Okay. I, I, I gave in and I opened it. And I, I hmm. Because I've had this and I, and I currently, like as of this morning, had some of Trader Joe's uh, reduced guilt pita chips. And I don't think they, they don't taste the same as the, the Stacy's brand that I would normally get at Safeway. So I, hmm. Yeah. Well, no, it's just, it, sorry. It says ingredients in Trader Joe's pita chips are exactly the, that doesn't That doesn't mean anything. Hold on. Hold on. I don't trust this article at all. <laughs> no no let's let's it's, this this is fake news um yeah I, I don't i don't buy this the ingredients in stacy's simply naked pita chips for example are exactly the same as trader joe's sea salt potato chips or pita chips stacy's is actually owned by frito Live. Blah, 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 blah. yeah i don't know I, I this i don't think this is in depth of course it's the same ingredients but that doesn't mean it's the same the same processes and the same company make Nah, fake news. <laughs> Mm-mm. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, uh, if you scroll a little bit further down, I think this has been a previous uh, show recommendation. The Trader Joe's dark chocolate pretzels are are fantastic. So if they are from Snack Factory, good on them. Probably not a, a popular opinion amongst you or the listeners. No, I'm not a big uh, dark jo- chocolate fan. Have you tried many? Because I think, no, because... You have to, maybe it's, maybe it's an old person thing and you'll get there eventually, but dark chocolate, you, you, I don't even really like milk chocolate anymore. Well, so I, I was going to follow up that sentence with, as I've gotten older, I've disliked <laughs> it less. Hey, there you but, go. But if given the choice, I would still always choose milk chocolate over dark chocolate. And I would also put white chocolate over dark chocolate, which I oh, know Jesus is, Christ. yeah, that's no, time. hold on. <laughs> Sorry. I'm uh, what what was the thing from two episodes ago I didn't actually listen but about the replacement co-host <laughs> right dude white oh man white chocolate is is really bad it's really bad and 
And yes, I think as you get older, like I, I didn't like dark chocolate as much when I when I was younger. Same thing with coffee. Like I like I'm much more at peace with good black coffee. That's that's a little bit bitter. Like th- those are things that as a younger man, I would not have wanted. And milk chocolate's kind of the same way, and dark chocolate goes along with that. But yeah, white ch- oh white chocolate, man, interesting. Can I can I ask can I ask a, a non prejudice question follow up question? <laughs> sure. Do you enjoy cheesecake? Oh, very much so. That and the, the, tra- it. The, that the Trader Joe's the Trader Joe's cheesecake, Mwah. It's del- delicious. Oh, all cheesecake is bad, and it should feel bad. Hmm. Hmm. Ah, uh, this is man. We should we should have chosen to go politics. This is, this is way worse. <laughs> um, you know, you know how I think I or the reason why I think I really know you is because without any sort of context, I knew that that white chocolate comment was going to irritate you. I just had a just had a feeling. It's just that it's not good. It doesn't taste like anything. I, I think white chocolate's delicious. It just, it just tastes like like milk that's sat out for eleven hours and has become lumpy. Basically, there are certain circumstances where I would actually put white chocolate over milk chocolate. You know what? Love Trump's hate, and we're <laughs> we're gonna. <laughs> you know, I respect your opinion, and I'm 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 happy. For <laughs> uh, white white chocolate, man. Okay, that's cool. Okay. Again, we, we all love what we love. It's okay. Right. We do. That's right. Ashley, let me, uh, so <laughs> to pull on that thread, what else do you think you, and not to make yourself a pariah, but <laughs> what, what else do you think you like that you feel slightly guilty for liking? Because the way you said it, there was a hint of self, self-loathing a tiny bit in revealing the white chocolate thing. So, so, so flesh that out for me, please. Um, hmm. Well, definitely a, a guilty pleasure, which I, I really do stay away from for the most part now, is fro- frozen food in general, but specifically frozen pizzas. Like, I, hmm. I love a good frozen barbecue chicken CPK pizza. Hold on. Stopping or you good. right there. No, no. Okay. Uh-huh. Literally last night, the CPK frozen barbecue chicken pizza is one of the best frozen pizzas in the world. You put some pepper flakes on that, that thing is amazing. And it's not that bad for you. Sodium content, mm. a little high, not that bad for you. If you, if you want to be a terrible person because the, and eat the whole entire thing because it's been a rough week, it's only, um, what's, what's 280 times three? 840 calories it's yeah. it's not that bad for you so no you you should not feel guilty about that at all frozen okay. pizza is you could do way worse you, you could order like chinese takeout you could eat like like a bucket of msg like there's a lot of things you could do that are way worse well and on the pizza thread so i i very much enjoy nicer pizza good example here in san francisco is pachi's love pachi's the but that's right. Delicious. Um, but on the flip side of that, I also really, really do enjoy and feel guilty for doing so a good Domino's pizza or even a, a Pizza Hut pizza, but preferably Domino's. This is this is new revised Domino's? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. 
Yeah, we were growing up. We were a Pizza Hut family. But I think I think everybody in Southern North County was not, <laughs> right. not to not to not to to make this too local or or to reveal too much. But no, I th- I think there was that one specific Pizza Hut that yeah I think everybody went to and it was pretty good. Uh-huh. You had to keep you had to stick with the classic pan pizza, not go for any of this weird uh, millennial stuffed crust nonsense. See, I do I do like a good stuffed crust pizza. Mm. The uh, DiGiorno stuffed crust pepperoni frozen pizza, pretty good. <laughs> I know the the stuffed crust thing is you see, you, know, you want to talk about d- divisive foods like white chocolate. <sighs> the the stuffed crust thing is is very divisive. I've only had it twice, and this this was literally two decades ago, but. Tasted super gross. Do you think I just maybe got bad ones, or do you think that's probably this is kind of a you either like cilantro or you hate it type thing? I'd probably the latter. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. What, what's the deal? Like, do you do you have context against uh, like Domino's versus old uh, like new Domino's versus old Domino's? This is like a Windows Vista versus Seven thing. Like, what is this? I mean, I can't really think of a way to describe old Domino's because it's been so long, but. I distinctly remember that we never used to go to Domino's growing up because we tried it and really disliked it compared to Pizza Hut and some other uh, local nearby chains. But post-updated Domino's, which I guess was, what, 2009, 2010, it's it's just got a lot more flavor to it now. Mm. I think, I guess, I, I I think before maybe it was just really kind of bland and soggy and now it's got a lot more flavor and a lot more texture yeah yeah domino's really pulled a hyundai with that so well and remember there was it domino's or was it pizza hut that did the whole we'll deliver it to you in a certain amount of time or it's free thing that that i'm pretty sure was domino's but yeah domino's has been and i think it was domino's because then i think it was like they pivoted away as, as you like to say from s- <laughs> from speed to quality well no so here's the thing and, and, and the reason the thing that the fact that you just said pivot makes me because i was gonna say it's gonna sound really douchey for me to say this but um like dominatos uh, dominatos <laughs> dominos has been a real innovator with this because they, they were the they're the ones who made the pizza tracker thing right they yeah and that that's still a thing yeah like that's really like for a fast food chain like that's really cool i know it seems like uh, like silly and gimmicky but that's kind of cool there well so there's a whole tech angle with Domino's that's really interesting where they've done everything from being one of the first to have lady in a can integrations they've always had a pretty good sense of humor with their mobile app they've i think they even have a, a siri-like voice that you can use inside the app in um in new zealand they've been doing testing with drone delivery they i think here in the u.s have a a specialized it might be a prius or some type of car that's got an oven oven built into it to keep the so they they do a lot of really neat kind of techie stuff so that is the Domino's. let me let me send you a link to this because i actually remember it by name because like this, this this is so dumb and also great uh, it's called the Domino's DXP. Yeah, exactly. So they this and this is a really good example how I think Domino's hits that really sweet spot where like they they do a lot of dumb stuff 
but it's stuff that's well, it's super cool. self-aware. And yes, ex- exactly right. Very self-aware. Who else is like that? I'm trying to think because there's there's other good examples. Like it's it's the Thirty Rock of pizza. Like I, I don't know what, how to how to say it, but it's oh man. Oh, there's only 154 of them though. So this was probably a very limited. And there's only one in San Diego. Boo. Hmm. Um. Okay. So yeah, that's that's not bad. But yeah, I, like for me, the thing is, pizza's really rough, like uh, health wise. So the only time I'll like actually going and ordering fast food pizza is something I'll almost never do, just because I know how bad it is for you. Like pizza, I'll have if I make it myself or if it's like frozen pizza. But actually, like ordering this circle of thirty two hundred calories is something that it there's enough friction where I won't do it. Yeah, I I agree. I and I I think in general that's how I feel about fast food. We didn't have fast food a ton growing up, but it, it was a probably once or twice a week thing at times. Well, so so, and, so let me ask this. So what, like there's a lot of things where it's kind of like a a left versus right, blue red type situation. Like as a family, were you guys like Pepsi or Coke people, Burger King or McDonald's people? Like how did how did that fall? We so we you know didn't really do we didn't really discriminate much with fast food. We kind of went everywhere. Interesting. We definitely did both McDonald's and Burger King. I would if I had to say we leaned towards one or the other. I guess I would say McDonald's, but. We probably went there about an equal number of times, but we also really enjoyed Carl's Jr. That was another another big staple for the family. And my parents and sister all were also really into Del Taco, which I which I was not as big of a fan of. So, and, and we're not going to talk about this directly, but I'm picturing in my mind literally the location from my house of all these places, and it, that does make sense because the Del they're Taco all kind of very, in the uh-huh, yeah. the Del Taco was very centrally located. Yeah, and Del Taco wasn't bad. Um, I don't. So I don't think. So I, I agree. I don't think it was bad. But if I'm going to do the fast food Mexican thing, I would always want to do Taco Bell over Del Taco. But the thing is, like, I don't, I could be misremembering, or maybe this was just, like, where we went as a family, like, in the southern Orange County location. Like, it's just, I don't remember there being Taco Bells in where we grew up. So there was one, yeah, nothing super close to us. Nothing as close as the other chains that we've been talking about. But they, they were around. Hmm. But yeah, yeah, Carl's Jr. That really that was before uh, Carl's Jr. went gross. Like it, uh, as a marketing direction for the company, they were much easier to like in the in the nineties. Uh, what else? What else? And then Pepsi versus Coke. Anything there? Uh, definitely Coke. Hmm. Although soda is really something that I've just about completely cut out. Fantastic. Good. Wait. Well, uh, what age? Or you mean just just recently? No, this has been four or five years now that i soda's not been a regular thing and in the last couple of years it's like it's not even a like a once a week thing it's i like i can't really even tell you the last time i just had a soda yeah soda soda's kind of objectively bad and with with the advent of Lacroix and and kind of the sparkling water revolution um it's 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 kind of falling even further out of favor uh-huh 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a good substitute for politics. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, slight bit of follow up. You had posted or, or uh, shared a link earlier in the week about Halo Top ice cream. Mm. So, did you ever end up buying any, or what was the deal with that? So, my sister had posted about. I guess they came out recently with a new pumpkin pie flavor and it looked interesting but i had never heard of or obviously ever had the brand so i was just sort of curious about it and and as the uh, food connoisseur uh in my life that you are i decided to, to ask you about it it's a really weird company or like their whole deal is that yeah there's no sugar in it they have something i don't know what the actual thing is but it's called on the nutrition facts it's called sugar alcohol which is interesting. So I think with them, it's actually called xylitol or something. That's the stuff they uh, shove into gum that gives it its sweetness. But the thing is, I've tried six of the flavors, and every five of the six were like almost inedible. And the only one that was decent was birthday cake, which was not actually that good either. So it was a real bummer. I don't yeah, know. The, the idea that an entire pint is somewhere between 240 and 320 calories seems seems too good to be true. Yeah. So, I mean, really, just like get yourself like a, a, a pint of three twins or Haagen-Dazs or something, like one of the ones that actually has real ingredients in it, and just eat, like eat it in thirds and just be sensible about it and it, it'll be fine. But yeah, like I, I, I really had been like, when, when this first came out and I saw this, like, Two years ago, I was like, oh, man, carefree ice cream. Hell yeah. And then and like, oh, it's so gross. And it's also like $6 a pint. Yeah, I, I didn't bring this up earlier because we were more on the topic of bad food habits that we were ashamed of. But if we wanted to get on the topic of bad food habits that we have no shame about, I will, I will gladly mention uh, a good pint of Ben & Jerry's ice cream. So like that's totally fine. And again, that's, that's a good, even if you want to go, even if you're having a rough day, and you know what? You're gonna you're gonna put Thirty Rock or Rust Development and, and start watching on Netflix or something. And you just want to eat the whole damn thing. That's fine. Like that. That's a good, decent pile of shame. Like that. That's okay. That's that's very respectable. Whereas like a full Domino's pizza is maybe less so. <laughs> yeah, um, that that'd be a bit rough. Yeah, uh, Domino's or Domino's flavors. Ugh, gross. <laughs> ben and Jerry's flavors. So I really like the cinnamon roll flavor. Okay. Um, there's another one that's a... You, you will not approve of this. There's a, a cheesecake brownie flavor that's really good. I was going to say white chocolate cheesecake. And I was, was going <laughs> to hang up. There, there, might, there might be white chocolate in that one. I forget. I've got the, the Ben & Jerry's site <laughs> pulled up here. I, I'm not good about memorizing the actual the names uh, but I've, I've got them pulled up here now um americone dream is fine the all of the cores are really good have you ever ever had those i don't i generally just don't like ben and jerry's ever since they like one like it's it's too it's too their brand like karma is too ostentatious for me and also they canceled or they they eliminated late night snack which was uh, Jimmy Fallon's old flavor, which was the only good one I liked. Yeah, that that one was pretty good. 
uh, so the the cinnamon, yeah, the the cinnamon bun ones is, is just called cinnamon buns, and then there is both cheesecake brownie and cookies and cream cheesecake core, and those those are both very good. Okay. And then alternate recommendations I will give uh, for people in the Bay Area, because I don't know if these are nationwide. Uh, Three Twins Mint Confetti is fantastic. And then just get yourself a simple thing of Haagen-Dazs uh, cookie dough or cookies and cream. Pretty great. That one, I'm sure, is nationwide. I don't think I've had... I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about Three Twins ice cream on the show before, but I don't I don't know if I've ever had it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're based out of Petaluma. They have some retail spots in berkeley and larkspur in case you guys are ever in the east bay or in marin uh, otherwise yeah just grab it at safeway and it's it's i i will refund you the uh, 550 if it is not to your liking okay yeah i mean if we're being honest i, I don't know if i've ever really had an ice cream that i've truly disliked <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of like one of the it's 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 like it's when it's bad it's 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 got to still be good yeah exactly yeah very happy i didn't say the example i was thinking of okay so um i think that's it do you have any uh follow-up or on to everything else so yeah a couple a couple pieces of follow-up so we talked a little bit last week about rumors that have been out there about lte functionality in this year's apple watch and now mingxin kuo of kgi securities is on the case and he he has also confirmed that there is going to be an LTE option in this year's watch, which I think is really exciting. I think LTE unlocks a lot of really interesting possibilities with the watch. And I'm very much on the same train as Jason Snell when I say that I'm super excited about the idea of being able to go on a run or a workout and not have to bring my phone. I think that alone will make having an LTE Apple Watch worth it. Hmm. Yeah, so the rumors, I mean, like, it, it seems to make sense, and that's probably what's going to happen this year, and that kind of makes me happy that I sat out the Series 2, because this does seem like a more substantial upgrade. But, like, I don't actually see that much value in the LTE connection, just because, like, I mean, I, I've used and, and played with a lot of Android Wear um 4g connected watches and it just seems like not that useful because like you're still not really like i don't know maybe somehow apple will do it better but i just think like the battery life drain the overheating and like heat management stuff and just like it's just it's tricky to uh, get that balance going that makes that worthwhile and to make it seamless enough where it still works like i think I don't know if it was Mike or Jason or a different podcast, but somebody said like maybe the LTE will only actually kick in if it doesn't detect your Bluetooth iPhone within range, which is something that uh, most of the Android Wear 4G watches don't do. And maybe that's a lot of the battery issue. So I don't know. It depends on how it's implemented. Um, most of those types of things only end up costing $5 a month on a shared data plan. So it won't be that much of a gamble for somebody to try with it. But yeah, I'm not sure it's going to be a game changer or it's going to be something that really, like the people who aren't currently buying an Apple Watch, I don't think the Bluetooth like tethered thing is really what they, what's stopping them. Like that could be, could be the case. But I think the only way that we're really going to 
know the answer to that is based on the two exact things that you brought up, which is going to be how developers and how Apple, frankly, implements the LTE integration and what they really bring to the table with that. And secondly, what the the cost is going to be. And I think there's going to be not only the monthly fee costs, but also the upfront costs. What what type of extra cost is is the LTE version going to have? I think those those two things will will largely dictate how impactful this is. But for me personally, I'm I'm super excited about this, and I, I think it really could, if implemented correctly, and assuming that it's reasonably priced, I think will be a, a really a really big thing for the watch. So on that note, since actually I, th- I think maybe we'll just promote all the Apple Watch stuff to like to the follow up section. Um, you saw the thing that Gruber posted today versus like, well, somebody was mentioning like I think it was a week ago he had said something like a little birdie told him that um, it's going to have like an entirely new form factor or something like that. Did you see that? I, I did not see that, but I'm I'm pulling it up as you speak. So I think it's the third post on during yeah I've, right now I've got it. Yeah, so last week he was like, oh, it's pro-, like also they made no mention of the whole, like the entirely new form factor that's coming with the watch. And then it seems like in that 9 to 5 Mac or what, which was sourcing the uh, KGI report, uh, was saying that no, it's not going to be dramatically different than the current watch at all. Um, which for people with custom watch bands, I assume is is, is a welcome relief. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And kind of the whole rest of that post is uh, interesting where he kind of like I don't know, like John writes in a in a weird way whenever he's wrong or I, I don't know um, I don't know I just I just think it's uh, that's interesting but also that it looks like it's gonna be a third generation of the watch looking almost exactly the same which I mean I don't think they can really change the form factor but much other than like making it thinner which if you're adding a cellular radio and trying to keep um, battery life the same is probably not gonna happen so I don't know Seems to make sense. Yeah, I think what stands out about this is John, unlike a lot of other Apple punditry, is very selective about kind of what he puts out there as what he knows, or really even what he puts out there just as speculation. And so when he phrases something like, a little birdie told me something, more times than not, he's spot on with that. So in a situation like this where he's not only kind of rebuked, but rebuked as quickly as he was, yeah, I, I think it, it's just not, <laughs> it's not really a position that he's used to being in. Unlike, and you know, I, and I say this as a, a big fan of a site like 9to5Mac, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> they post rumors all the time that end up not being true, and, that, and that's fine, but Daring Fireball just, it works a little differently. There's a higher standard of what gets posted there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm super super curious about what they what they do with a an LTE connected watch. I think there's a lot of, a lot of questions around that, but I'm I'm excited to see what it's going to be. And then quickly before we leave the topic, are there any what are well actually what was announced at WWDC that related to the watch? Was there anything that was substantial about it? No, um, there's gonna be like a Siri watch face, and then there's like a Pixar watch face. Watch OS, or we were Watch OS four, right this year. Mm-hmm. They didn't spend a lot of time on that in the keynote. We 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 didn't really hear much about it at all. Um, 
which I think now in retrospect would maybe make sense. If LTE is going to be this year's big feature, there's obviously a lot in watchOS 4 that they're not going to be able to talk about until they put the fact out that LTE is going to be in the watch. So maybe in the September event, we'll hear a lot more about watchOS 4 with the knowledge that LTE is in play. So as a follow-up, like, yeah, like what do you, other than cellular improvements, like, do you think there's anything else that's going to come to the watch in terms of software that maybe addresses anything that is currently lacking or probably not? It's so, so hard to say. I mean, I would think that having LTE connectivity would certainly boost the reliability of applications refreshing themselves. But in terms of function, I mean, I, well, I, if implemented correctly, I would think so. Yeah, because I mm. presume a lot of the issues that we have now around apps refreshing and complications refreshing, which you know have improved quite a bit with WatchOS three, but they're still not perfect. I would I would chalk up most of that to being just general unreliability with Bluetooth slash, you know, the watch's connection with your phone. That I'm not so sure about. Like, because I've generally never experienced any issues where I don't think the watch, like, because I'm somebody who, like, the, the primary use of my watch is to receive notifications, to set timers, and to control audio playback on my phone. And generally, I've almost never found it to not have a connection with my phone, even like up to 50 feet away. So I've always thought it was just uh, like deathly preserving the battery life of the watch as being the real reason that uh, complications only refresh every so often and that watch apps always do that kind of spinning thing when they're resuming from like their suspended state because it then has to it then has to launch the actual application in the background on the phone to sync up hmm yeah i I don't know but anyway I, i guess that's the that's the one thing that's an unknown for September. <laughs> right. Um, so other, other bit of follow-up from last week, also Apple-related, of course. Um, 9 to 5 Mac had a, a post where they have a, a video comparing a dummy version of the iPhone 8 with the iPhone 7s. So this is a, a pretty comprehensive look of what we think the iPhone 8 is going to be. Um, I you know I guess my my takeaway is is something that I've been thinking about for a while now which is I'm just I'm having such a hard time picturing a screen that's bigger than the plus sized phone that we currently have but which is in a form factor of the non plus phone that we have I mean it'll obviously be obvious when we have the phone but just in my head and even like looking at these videos it's just something I'm having a hard time visualizing but is, is is pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. Uh, dig into the, the main stuff here. Let's do it. Okay. Um, any preference on what we do first here? Yeah, let's talk about subscriptions. Let's, let's uh, break it up a little bit. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. So this is a topic that came up uh, based on a couple of stories that came out this week. First, we had an announcement from Canary where they came out with some i guess Eero was technically first but orders go, go, ahead, go ahead and take yeah take the yeah canary we'll, part. we'll do the canary part first 
Um, so they, um, you know, they have their, their home security devices. I, I have the, the canary here at home. And one of the things that they have that you can get with the devices is a monthly membership where I think the main feature up through at least this most recent announcement has been that you have more than, I think it's seven days of history you get without a membership. I, and I, with a membership, I think you get a month or maybe even more. Um, but now with this most recent announcement, they are rolling out a handful of new features, including two-way audio, where in addition to hearing audio from your devices, you can actually speak into your phone and project audio, um, which I'm just as a little sidebar. I'm not exactly clear on what the purpose of that would be. Well, well specifically um, with that 95 Mac article, it would be to tell the intruders that you're calling the police. Yeah, which, which kind of seems like a... Which maybe it's just the jaded Bay Area person in me, but like when my car got broken into, uh, it was basically uh, go fuck yourself. So um, I don't think that that's much of a deterrent, at least in Northern California. Yeah. Um, so kind of kind of a weird example, but but anyway, they also say you can use it as an intercom, sort of like the new Lady in a Can features, um, etc. Uh, so there's that, and then now they're also coming out with a. Um, a web client that you can use to look at the video from your canary, uh, which, okay, fine, whatever. Um, so anyway, you know, what stands out to me about those features similar to what we're about to talk about with Eero is they are both only available if you subscribe to canary's, uh, membership, which is, which is $10 a month. Um, and that's, that's what Eero is doing as well, where this is, um, I guess Eero Plus is what they're calling this, and they're and they're offering. I I I have to admit I I read through this entire page and I'm I still don't really feel like I'm clear on exactly what Eero Plus is. It, it but it's it's security related. The whole thing with them, like this this yeah, you you are totally right in that it's totally vague. Like I I get this, and and we'll talk about the business reasons later, but. The whole thing is apparently that it's an anti-phishing, anti-virus, anti-malware, like extra security layer. So I like I don't actually get. Are they just running your entire internet connection through some Eero proxy? Because otherwise, how on earth would they be able to anti-fish for you? Like it's just it's it's a real it's like to me this seems strange. The only thing that seems like um obviously worth or like a, like a tangible benefit to the subscription is what they call VIP support where there's a um, tech support team that will help you with your Wi-Fi network at any time, which I think for the um, novice or like the person who technology is not their thing. I think that is actually like a very real world benefit that they could offer. Um, so just calling this like an enhanced support plan seems to make sense. But since like Eero caters to a more technical user set, generally, I think, at least right now, based on who they advertise with, um, yeah, this seems strange and just kind of like more like a, we want to join the subscription revenue club because uh, in 2017, that apparently is the only way to, to make money. Yeah. So like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the 
details of the feature and the services that we're talking about aren't really all that relevant. I think the point that we wanted to get into a little bit more about is just the idea of subscriptions in general. And, you know, when we were talking about this offline, the thing that we, I think, really want to distinguish is there's definitely an attitude with a lot of consumers that are just sort of anti-subscription anything. You know, they just they just don't want to pay for any sort of additional functionality or any sort of recurring fee. And, you know, that I, I disagree with that, but, you know, hey, that's that's fine. So I, I bring that up because I would preface what I'm about to say is, you know, wanting to make it clear that I, I'm totally not that. I mean, I have... <laughs> probably more monthly subscriptions than I should have to various things. I have no no issue at all paying um, a monthly fee for services that I enjoy and regularly use. But I just think that there's, there's a tough balance, especially with the Canary um, features that were announced, where I don't, I don't know if I'm super in love with the idea that essentially all new features going forward for the Canary are going to be locked behind this membership. I mean, it's not something I'm going to like lose sleep about or get super upset about, but I just I think that that's sort of a a fine line to walk for these companies, and I, I'm not even really sure I have you know a great answer as to exactly what that that balance is. Well, I mean, and that and the thing is, Canary is like they're way further on the like not requiring that side because like I made the mistake. Because I thought the Nest Cam was a lot more flexible. So when I moved, I ended up getting a Nest Cam instead of a Canary. Or I tried both, but ended up not keeping the Canary. Uh, Nest Cam does absolutely nothing but live video unless you pay $10 a month. So they're, like Nest and Google by proxy, are on the bleeding edge. Or, or they, they are well cemented in, in the subscription lifestyle, whereas Canary is, is brand new to it. Because Canary actually gives you a pretty decent feature set of what you can do without having to pay $10 a month for it. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. And, I, and maybe another way of phrasing what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is I feel a lot better about subscriptions when upfront I know exactly what I'm paying for each month and, and what to expect out of that payment versus something like Canary where I sort of go into buying the product without really knowing over time what I'm going to have to pay extra for versus what I'm not going to. I think maybe that's sort of a difference here. No, no, yeah, that totally makes sense because it, like they're changing the, the terms. They're, game, they're changing the rules of the game on you. Right. Not that you think you should be entitled to every feature for free, but you kind of <clears throat> you kind of bought the hardware. It, not a sight unseen. Not, that's not the right term, but you bought it based off like the current feature set and also kind of hoping that it is improved going forward and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But knowing that now they've, they think that we have, we, we got this guy's initial $200 and now maybe sales have tapered off and we see that subscription revenue is kind of the hot new thing. So we're going to put any future development effort that we make into something that is only a benefit to be received by our subscription customers, which is kind of, I don't know, like, again, when you bought it, it was not a subscription product. And then now it seems like this is a product that you purchased for $200 that now has a $120 usage fee uh, to get any real additional benefit from it, which, which is, which is, which is rough. I mean, I get it. I get both sides of it. 
uh, I feel like that that word is tainted or that phrase is tainted now. I, I I understand the business perspective and the consumer perspective here, but it is it is it is challenging to to reconcile those two things. Yeah, I think that that's that's well said. But the Eero thing seems like purely a cash grab. Like that one seems to have almost no tangible benefits. So that one, that one's challenging for me. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that one's kind of suffers from an slightly unrelated issue, which is just flat out not understanding what it is exactly you're paying for. Well, I mean, I like I, ha- I have their I have their fancy business chart right here, which shows uh, here's the things that you get if with a standard router. <laughs> here's what you get with. God, I hate this shit. Yeah. Sorry. Got to be angry about something. Uh, Eero Plus, apparently, all the check marks in in the little in the F and B uh, section is I also get anti malware, anti phishing, anti ransomware, and antivirus. Uh, I love the fact that somehow this is going to prevent me from ransomware. Uh, even though, how would you know if it's a brand new ransomware? So do I get to hold Eero liable if I do get ransomware on one of my Windows machines? If I actually had some? Like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like this at all. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to maybe close this out on a, a positive note, I mean, I, I literally, you know, 10 inches away from me here on my, on my desk have an Eero and a Canary and regardless of what they decide to offer as part of these subscriptions, I'm perfectly happy with the base models as they are without any sort of additional monthly service. So, you know, if they want to go off and put features in here that I that I don't really need and they want to lock up behind a paywall, I mean, that, that doesn't impact my, my enjoyment of the, of the core product. Would it have changed your decision to purchase? No, like now I, that well, now this so. like for well, like for Eero specifically, how there are like ten different mesh Wi-Fi products on the market now. Do you think that might have changed it at all? I don't think so, because the the core conceit behind Eero is the ease of setup and maintenance, and that, that's not changing at all. Hmm. I think maybe what would be a more interesting hypothetical would be if one of these two products or any other product that we currently own that comes out with a feature that we're really interested in that we that we really want that they then lock behind some type of monthly subscription that we weren't previously paying for that's where i think it gets maybe a little trickier yeah cuz then you're kind of combining the two ideas we've been talking about which is on one hand having no issue at all paying for services on a monthly basis that we really enjoy versus purchasing a product up front and then kind of later on having this idea of a subscription introduced i think that's that, that's just where it gets kind of kind of tricky yeah so as an extension of this what what is and i think we've talked we, we've talked about this probably about a year ago but like what's what's your thought on software increasingly moving to a subscription model like just recently um uh, a writing app geared at professionals called Ulysses on iOS and Mac has gone subscription only um, in the past. Well, actually, not that recent, uh, not that long ago. One uh, Password, Text Expander, a lot of um, Mac applications have gone subscription. So, do you think this is a good business model choice, or do you think this might be problematic in the future? 
in general, I I don't have an issue with monthly subscriptions, and I think if explained properly, a lot of people wouldn't. I I, I do think there's a ton of value in always having the most up to date version of software. Generally, having some type of higher level of support than you would with just like perpetual license software. Not not always, but but in many cases. So I I, I do think there's a lot of value in a in a monthly subscription, but I, I I really do think much like what we were just talking about, it really is kind of a case by case thing. I think a well put together subscription package is totally reasonable, but I think what we've seen a lot of it are software and services where it doesn't really make a ton of sense to be a monthly recurring thing that have been sort of shoehorned into that model. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. For me, the challenge is like, is, is just for the apps that I don't really find that critical, but I do want to pay for. And where I understand that, like maybe there are certain people where this is a tool that's critical to their job and is worth a lot more to them than me, which means like I kind of, no longer get to have that software because like if there's an app like like text expanders is an app that i bought for like 30 dollars a couple of years ago and and i use its most basic features and i enjoy it but it's not something that i think is worth uh whatever like 60 or 80 dollars a year that they want to charge for it so basically i can never upgrade now so it's 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 weird stuff like that where like and same thing with like Adobe Creative Suite. I think like we were talking about this earlier this week. It's just it's the challenge of the stuff that's like is not that important to me, but I do want to pay for. Uh, but like the type of tool, they're pricing it for somebody who relies on it way more than you might. So I don't know. Yeah, it, it's a a tricky balance that, like I said earlier, I think really varies from use case to use case and. Yeah, you know, software to software. Yeah. Did you see the uh the Surface Book thing? Well, where you kind of like the iPhone upgrade program? Yeah. Mhm. That's weird. I mean, yeah, but I I I would say that I I really like the iPhone upgrade program and I I would say that kind of actually holding it up as a good example of kind of that idea where the utility of a subscription varies from kind of use case to use case or person to person. I think there's a ton of people where the iPhone upgrade program would not make any sense at all, but for dummies like me that upgrade their iPhone every year, makes all the sense in the world. Well, that I think makes total sense, but like the Surface laptop and that kind of stuff, like that seems way more difficult to sell because like as I understand it, basically you're going to pay off 75% 75% of the laptop over two years, give it back for nothing, and then basically restart on a new one. Like that seems like kind of a bum deal where hardware is becoming subscription versus an iPhone, which that again, like that goes back to what I think is kind of the main takeaway of this entire hundred and however many episode show that we've done, which is the thing that like like your mobile, your primary mobile device, like the iPhone is your most used piece of technology. So that is something that is worthwhile to spend 
a decent amount on. Whereas the like the iPhone upgrade program actually makes that fairly easy to always have the latest thing. But hardware becoming subscription, like as in like a laptop and that kind of thing. Specifically, Microsoft's approach to this seems like kind of just kind of like a crap deal all around, though. Well, yeah, I mean, potentially, but to play devil's advocate, if you're someone who is all in on the surface, I can't say I know anyone who falls into that category, but assuming <laughs> assuming that they're out there somewhere, then much like how I say the iPhone upgrade program means a lot to me and, and is totally worthwhile to me, I could see this surface membership thing, you know, being as equally worthwhile to that hypothetical person yeah some of them i assume are good people oh no don't do don't do that apple updates so (laughs) there was a story earlier this week uh apparently google pays apple three billion dollars a year to be the default search engine on ios devices yeah and apparently which that i totally get like that the number doesn't actually surprise me just because you think about the install base of apple products and you think about how important search is as kind of the glue that keeps somebody like locked into a brand like if ios 11 were to come out and it had bing as the default search engine like that wouldn't be that jarring like like techie people would throw a fit and be all uh, would be would be super up in arms about it but most people will be like oh this looks different whatever it's it still gives me fairly the or kind of the same search results um but i totally get where google thinks this is a worthwhile investment as a way to keep people on their platform and keep google front of mind for also desktop search and Gmail and Google apps and G suite and all that kind of stuff. So like that, that makes sense to me. The part of this that seems interesting to me is that this is apparently counted as services revenue, which seems to not make sense. Cause apparently Apple's, if, if you remember from their most recent earnings call, uh, Apple is now a services company. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, apparently so I, I'm, I'm pulling up their um, their most recent 10Q here as we're talking. So I I, I think so let me pull up so we get to the financial statements here. Yeah, Sur- so, uh, services are a Fortune 100 company is what I heard. Yeah. So here we go. So net sales by product. So this this is for their most recent quarter. So of their 45.4 billion in total revenue. 7.2, 7.3 rounded, I guess, was services. So, you know, even if we, so if we assume, you know, 7.3 times four for a year, that that's not quite right, probably, but that's 29.2 round up to say 30. So this is like Roughly, as assuming that this three billion number is correct, which we should say that this is not a confirmed thing. This is just something that a, an analyst has backed into somehow. That would be roughly ten percent of Apple's annual services revenue, which is, you know, pretty pretty shocking. Um, and I think what we focused on off air was sort of the, I guess, sort of kind of disclosure of this. 
And, you know, I was pointing out that Apple is pretty explicit in their financials as public companies are kind of forced to be that, you know, services revenue, quote, includes revenue from digital content and services, Apple Care, trademark, Apple Pay, licensing, and other services. So they're pretty explicit that this includes, you know, a pretty broad spectrum of revenue streams. But well, so I think, which I think one gets, of those things is this. I, I would assume licensing. But licensing seems like we own patents and we will license that to somebody else. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so, so throw it in other services then. I mean, it's it's a pretty generic category. My point was going to be that... What, what else is other services? iPod socks? Like, <laughs> Maybe at one point. Um, no, but I, I think what gets a little trickier is... App, I mean, Apple's being like the, the services numbers being really, really heavily scrutinized, and and for you know a lot of good reasons. And I think if something like this single deal makes up almost ten percent of that number, that's that that's where I think the kind of disclosure piece gets tricky. I mean, I'm not not in any way to suggest Apple's doing anything you know shady here, but it just it. Well, it's critical for material parts of your business to be presented to investors, and ten percent of a sorry, how much was last quarter's services revenue? Uh, well, so last quarter was seven point three billion. Yeah, so a seven hundred thirty to seven hundred thirty million dollar line item is is something that is material to investors. So that is something like that you do have to keep that in mind. Yeah, so I just you know it, that that's where I think it it gets a, potentially a little tricky. Yeah, because like if you th- like remember like Firefox or Mozilla, like if you think of like why that nonprofit still exists, it's because I think like Yahoo pays them like an absurd amount of money to be the default there. Like that's how the world works, but it also does have to be disclosed. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean you know put I guess putting aside the kind of nerdy financial piece, it's just it's just sort of a, a shocking, interesting number. Google still doesn't get preferential treatment for Google Assistant can't be uh, a snap-in for iOS and doesn't get any special privileges. Well, no, but but if criminal, I I, I think what this Apple, what this article rather suggests is that about half of Google's mobile search revenue, which you know, much like Apple Services revenue, is a, a critical metric for investors. If it's true that fifty percent of that revenue is coming from iOS, then you know this this is kind of a a win-win for for both parties. So even though that number is kind of crazy on it on the surface, it's it's actually super reasonable when you get into the details. Hmm. All right, and then rounding out the Apple stuff, uh, merging our two favorite subjects, uh, IKEA light bulbs are getting a, a remote software push from uh, good old Sweden. And they are getting HomeKit and Echo integration as a as a free phrase and meatballs uh, software update. <laughs> so good for everybody who's supporting Trod Free. But um, yeah, one thing is is that it's not much uh, since uh, Philips Hue got way more aggressive with the pricing of their uh, non-color bulbs. Uh, Hue is actually way cheaper than I remember. Like white bulbs are only uh, fifteen or twenty dollars a piece. And the, the hub, uh, you're, you're, I think you're a little jaded by your color light bulbs, and I and I say this as someone who owns a, an apartment full of these hue bulbs. That that's that's a lot of money. Well, for, no, I'm saying compa- compared to Trodfree, 
uh, which is not that, which is actually at times, uh, I forget where I, where I read this, who, who did a comparison. Like it's, it's not actually, it's, I think trot free is generally more expensive. I don't know. I, I, the more like, again, like my political platform would be an interconnected light bulbs in every house. That, that'd be it. <sighs> you lights are good, man. Yeah. If he, only I could, really if good. only I connect you was, was not, but ugly. Um, I could live a happy life. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause the app that I love called Humote, apparently like it just hasn't been updated in a year and a half. And now it just kind of gets this weird thing where maybe every, every other day it'll say, uh, can't find, uh, Hubridge. So you have to search for it, which takes about 10 seconds, which is kind of annoying when you just want to turn off the lights and you don't want to talk to, to Mrs. Echo. So a, a, a semi-related tip here. What's that? Um, so we, we are uh, huge fans of Ikea. I mean, uh, that goes, goes without saying for any yeah. long-time listener. Pride of Sweden and Emeryville. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but I got I to gotta, gotta say this. You, you kind of want to avoid ikea on a sunday afternoon well of course only a sucker does that yeah well i, I was i was that sucker this last weekend and you it's know like shopping it's like shopping at christmas on the 23rd like you're asking yeah, for it right yeah no exactly exactly and you know to their credit they had basically every single one of their registers open they it seemingly were making an effort to make things move as quickly as possible but oof yeah not 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 the ideal time to go well, so now, now, now I'm super intrigued. What were you there for? Yeah, we just needed a little, a little shelving unit for the closet, which kind of made it all the more frustrating as we were just in there for like one thing. It wasn't like we were stocking up a whole new place. Um, you just stop by the food court. Yeah, we 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 didn't. No. Oh. Yeah, we were. It was kind of middle of the day. We weren't really in like a, um, not really in a prime eating time. But got it. Do you leave I, with I any plush friends? I'm sorry. Did you leave with any plush friends? No, no, we 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 didn't. Oh, you know, I don't. I don't think I I shared this story with you. But when we when we moved into the first place that we lived together in San Francisco, um, I I bought uh, a number of things from IKEA, and maybe three weeks after we moved in, they were doing one of those weekends where if you spent over a hundred dollars, you got I think it was ten dollars or something credit for the food court. And I was looking into to getting some things for the apartment and actually waited an extra week to, to do so <laughs> until I could get the free food court offering. Pretty good. Uh-huh. It's life hacks like that that are going to, that's, that's, that's how you live comfortably well into your 90s. That's right. <laughs> Isn't it cute to think we're going to make it that far? Um, <laughs> okay. So let's let's let's. Uh, apparently, you have a have a secret topic. I do. Yeah, I like um, you do this to me occasionally, so I I, I like returning the favor. Never. <laughs> um, and usually these secrets involve a a purchase that we have not told each other about that we then wait some period of time. Oh, God damn! And did then you, did you buy a Pro ten point five? I did. Ah. Oh. Yeah. So about three weeks ago, I. I bought the the iPad Pro 10.5 inch and I've got to say it it is it is really good. It's really really good. 
Um, you know, we, we talked about this a couple of months ago, I guess now where, you know, so I had had the iPad mini, but then when I upgraded to the seven plus the, you know, the screen size difference between those devices, just, it just didn't really make a lot of sense to have both. And so I, I moved up to the 9.7 iPad pro and even still with that, it just having the bigger size phone and that size iPad, I just, I kind of felt myself going back to the phone, like even when I was here at home and, and, the, and the iPad was readily available, just because it didn't really feel like there was all that much difference between the two. And I got to say, even though it's only another, you know, 0.8 inch diagonally across going to the 10.5, it really does feel like a completely separate size device which is which is very different than the plus size phone and in a lot of ways it just it feels like the perfect size ipad where it it feels like a really substantial screen which i I think is also aided by the really small bezels that it has and also the fact that it's the same weight as the 9.7 inch ipad pro it's it's really just the the perfect form factor which is which is the which is the biggest thing it's got going for it. There there are some some other things I want to get to, but but maybe I'll let you <laughs> I'll let you get out whatever whatever's bubbling up over there. Can I can I just this is this is basically withholding this information is kind of like lying to a grand jury. <laughs> Something we'll be intimately familiar with in about six months. Um this is hmm. okay. So I'm uh, to clarify because I I don't actually remember which um tablet computing product from apple did you own before so i i had the the 9.7 inch ipad pro uh, this this is this this is this is some hashtag old ryan business it, it is no it, it in a lot of ways it is they, they are not even though promotion is very nice they are super similar so well so okay so so, 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 so get let's, let's get into it please tell me your impressions and, and all, all the rest of it yeah, so there, there's not a lot else to say about promotion. I, I was going to get to it, but let's let's get to it now. It, I mean, it, it's great. It really, it, it. I mean, it's all, it's just all, you know, eye candy. There's there's not really any actual increased functionality you get out of it, but it really is a a super pleasant feature to to have. Um. But I mean, again, not a lot of functionality there. So I guess I don't really want to spend a ton of time on it. But I, I, going back to the the form factor, it, it so I think Apple describes it as being twenty percent bigger than the nine point seven inch iPad Pro, which I guess when you when you look at length and width together, I guess that that's probably true. It it really in practice does make a big difference. Um. I think if you hold the two devices side by side, you don't really get an appreciation for it. But after using it for some time, the exercise, at least to me, makes a a huge, huge difference. Um, and really because of that, I find myself basically, you know, when I'm at home now, only going to the iPad Pro, um, and not not going to my iPhone like I was previously. Uh, but there was one other thing that I did with this purchase that was different from the past, which also differentiated this device from my previous iPad, which is I got the cellular version. 
I'm listening. So previously, I just just had just had Wi-Fi iPads, and so I went the the Jason Snell route, where I purchased the cellular iPad and then got a free SIM from AT and T. So the device comes with a with a Apple SIM built into it. That's that's non removable, but it also does have a SIM tray. And so I bought an or didn't buy because it was free, but got an app, got an AT and T SIM card rather, added it to my family share plan and popped that SIM card in. And now it's it's using the um, the shared data um, that's on my current AT and T plan. And that that's also been a really nice feature to have not something that i've you know used a ton and not something that quite frankly i expect to use a ton all the time but is one of those things that's really a, a nice to have yeah i i don't because hmm. this also frustrated me when 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 jason talked about it where i don't like a cellular connectivity for the ipad has been out for seven years like i i don't see how this is all of a sudden a a realization for for a lot of people, well, I think well. So for me, the well, so, I, so what, what what compelled you this time? Yeah, so the, the iPad has been really a superfluous device in a lot of ways ever since I've had it. And what I've moved more towards with this ten point five inch iPad Pro is moving towards the idea that I you know I have a Mac for work, I'm, I'm on it you know all day. And then when I come home, it's nice to to transition to the iPad. Or if I'm not like in the office, it's nice to use a device that's separate from what I'm using in the office. So I'm not trying to, you know, have the iPad replace everything that I do on a Mac, but rather have it be the thing that I use when I'm not like in full work mode where I'm either just using it for leisure or I'm using it sort of to do some work, maybe just like email or something like that. So I think both the bigger display and the cellular connectivity are kind of key things behind being able to, to achieve that. So what apps are you using most on the iPad? Like, like what, what use is transitioned over to the iPad that normally would have been handled on your seven plus. I think so. I, we've mentioned this before recently too, where I've been trying to get a little bit better about notes and just kind of jotting down random thoughts. So the, you know, the, the iPad's really good for that. Um, but I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, the iPad continues to at least be for me more, of kind of a leisure device. So it's, it's, it's just, especially with this bigger screen, it's just nicer to use at home than my phone. So I don't, I don't think I any way really want to suggest that the, you know, iPad 10.5 inch or really even the iPad in general is making me more productive or anything. It's just, it's just a more pleasant device using at home so when you kind of when you kind of have that second screen experience going it's it's the you know perfect perfect product for that uh do you get any accessories with it like did you go smart keyboard or apple pencil or no um so we so i well so there is a, a pick of the week involved here <laughs> okay I'll, I'll let that go or, or um, i'll, I'll... 
but but so I'll say that um, so there's there's one accessory that's not related to the the pick of the week, which is the Apple Pencil. So I did get that, and it, it it's it's really it's nice, especially with the the better tracking that these newer iPads have. It's you know not something that because I'm not an artist, so I, I, I you know I, I admittedly haven't used it a ton, but. I have found it that it, it's really nice highlighting for highlighting text when I'm reading. That's that's been kind of the main use for it. I think I also really do want to explore a little bit more around note taking, especially when iOS 11 comes out and we get the native um, handwriting to text um, feature or conversion feature, whatever I guess whatever Apple's calling it. Um, so kind of think that's still kind of more to be determined there, but, but it it is, it's a pretty, it's a pretty neat, neat accessory. Feel, feels great to use too. Just as a really well, well built. I was going to say pen, but I pencil as Apple calls it. (laughs) Uh, Okay. But the, the the keyboard thing we'll get into, uh, and a pick of the week here. All right. A little teaser. Oh, do you get a lot to create? No, we'll we'll come back to that. Um, but but I so I guess before we move on though, I so the the one the one big gripe I have so far, I think this would drive you kind of crazy too. So um, this was going back a couple of years now, I think, where Apple really started pushing developers towards. Um, the, I'm totally blanking on the the name now but where apps are sort of like resolution agnostic size uh, classes something like no that. Um, uh, it's it's like something auto layout yeah you, you you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah um and <laughs> so apple was clearly doing that I, I think they did this like pre-iphone 5 and it was like a way of being like hey developers we may may not slash definitely might come out with different sized devices that are going to have different screen resolutions. So you should make it so that your apps can just sort of adapt themselves to whatever screen resolution we throw at them. And so when, you know, this 10.5 inch iPad pro was um, rumored, there was some idea that maybe it would be the same resolution as the 12.9, but shrunk it into a smaller screen, kind of how like the iPad mini was the same resolution as a regular 9.7 inch iPad. But that ended up not being the case where the 10.5 is its own unique resolution. So the the issue with that that I've run into is that there are many, many apps, including every app from Google and a variety of other kind of big name developers that you would think would be compliant with these Apple standards who are not, where, so what the iPad does is if you're an app that has only been optimized to run on like a a 9.7 inch ipad what it does is slightly blow up that app to fill the 10.5 inch screen and the effect of that is that apps end up looking a little distorted and a little blurry kind of like going back to like the pre-retina to retina days not quite as distinct but a similar kind of effect. So that's a little bit of a disappointment, but I think it's something that will obviously improve over time. 
but that's that's been sort of the the biggest the biggest gripe I have so far. Yeah, that's hmm. I didn't I didn't know that was the thing with the ten point five because isn't it the exact same resolution as the the nine point seven? I thought that was the whole no. thing. Mm-mm. No, it's it, different. It, uh huh. It's its own. It's its its own distinct resolution, separate from the nine point seven and the twelve point nine. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, then, in that case, you'll be waiting nine months for that to resolve itself. Pro- probably. Yeah, probably. Oh, poor guy. All right. Where do I go next? Um. Well, we're starting to run a little long, so maybe, I don't know, maybe one of these other big topics and then picks of the week. Yeah, yeah. Dealer's choice. Um, so why don't, let's get into the, um, let's go with some non-T-word stuff. Let's get into the, maybe the Olympic news. Yeah, did you did you end up listening to that uh, Bill Simmons episode? I did. So we'll we'll link to this in the notes. Um, so yeah, so Bill Simmons had a, a good discussion with Mayor Eric Garcetti of LA and Casey Wasserman, who I think previously worked with Simmons and then ended up becoming the the head of the LA Olympic Committee or Olympic Bid Committee, whatever they whatever they were called. Um, so they had a really good discussion, um, I guess also to provide a little bit of context. So Paris and LA were two of the finalists for the 2024 summer Olympics. Uh, the Olympic committee was so impressed by both bids that they left it up to Paris and LA to figure out, um, a compromise where one would host the 2024 games and the other would host the 2028 games. And it ended up being that LA is going to take the 2028 games, and you know, I absolutely someone who considers themselves themselves pretty skeptical of the kind of the economics behind the Olympics. And you know, as an example of why, we'll also put this in the notes. ESPN had a really good piece this week around Rio and kind of what's happened to all of the Olympic infrastructure um, in Rio since since the Olympics. And admittedly, Brazil is a little bit of an extreme example because there's been a lot else going on in that country the last couple of years. But nonetheless, is sort of an example of why I think cities are not wise to pursue the Olympics. They they build out all this extra infrastructure, and then that infrastructure ends up not being used after the Olympics, despite promises of you know continued use by the community. Um, so, you know, it, I, I went into this, this podcast about LA being pretty skeptical, but you kind of left it kind of drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, I guess, where I, I think what's different about LA, at least the argument that's being made about what's different about LA is that the infrastructure is largely there already. So there's not really going to have to be a lot that's built out. So I think with that in mind, I, I kind of left that podcast feeling a little bit different about the idea of LA having the Olympics than I would about, you know, most most other cities. Did you, did you kind of feel that same way? Kind of. So th- this was challenging. Cause, like, so because anytime there's a non-sports, like, a, like a, an episode of the Bill Simmons podcast that's not just talking like actual sports sports. I very much enjoy it. But like this was challenging for me because it seemed like a really, at least on Simmons's part, an uncritical view into a 
type of discussion where kind of the universal economic and like just real world consensus about like whether or not hosting the Olympics ends up being a good economic net benefit is is generally does not pan out that way. Um, it seemed like they were like, oh yeah, like just all of these all these assumptions and and postulations of of what is going to happen with all this kind of stuff is is going to go off without a hitch. Like it seems like if you if you listen to the whole episode, you would think that as of twenty forty. Uh, Los Angeles is going to be uh, the global utopia because they will have built out, uh, they will have generated tons and tons of revenue from the Olympics. They will have built out mass transit that reaches every corner of the Los Angeles County, uh, that everything is going away, that UCLA is going to become this future metropolis and bastion of sports uh, domination. Like it just seemed like literally, like, it just seemed too uncritical a view for me. Like I want it to be true, but I assume this is the kind of stuff that happens with everybody that hosts the Olympics. Like I assume that Rio um, and London, like just all, everybody would say that th- there are always going to be future uses for whatever is actually built for this. And that every bit of this will be made back up in terms of generating new skilled labor that will get other jobs based off of, um, the the skills that they learned building things for the Olympics like I, I don't know it just seemed it seemed too uncritical for me yeah I I don't I don't disagree with that um, I I I think the general idea of LA having the infrastructure to host an Olympics unlike most if not all other cities I think on its on its face that does make sense but I, I think you bring up a good point where like with a lot of things, the the devil's kind of in the details, and it, it does sort of feel like they glossed over a lot of that. And and there was there were some opportunities where Simmons probably could have pressed for more specifics, and and kind of you know just kind of didn't. Yeah, like I mean, I, I hope it's true. Like I, I like I other than the Dodgers, I I love I, I really like I really like L.A. But um, and I hope it works out. But it just it yeah. I don't know. It's cool. The U.S. is going to be hosting for how long has it been since we did it? Well, it's been so the, the it's not Atlanta, right? Atlanta were the last summer games. We we did the the winter games in '02 in Salt Lake. Oh, was that the was that the Mitt Romney Olympics? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Got it. Um, but yeah, summer summer Olympics not since Atlanta '94. Yeah, overall, still would recommend uh, listening to that episode. It's it, it's a fun listen if you do, if you don't. I I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but like I mean, like it. No, I think I actually think that the Olympics and I, I think a lot of these other major events, I, I would absolutely put the World Cup in this same category. Where, in light of everything else that's happening in the world, I think it is a completely fair question or series of questions to be asking around whether it makes sense and under what circumstances it makes sense to hold these types of events and who should be hosting these types of events because you know i I think unfortunately with brazil last year the summer olympics proved to to be quite frankly a huge detriment to that country and and the city of rio just in no way was that economically positive. And, and Rio had the double whammy where two years previous, they had also hosted the the World Cup. So they they 
they sort of tackled kind of two of the most unprofitable events that we as a global community still have. And that's, you know, I just, I just think that that's, that's something that should be, should be scrutinized more heavily. And when, when cities and countries are throwing hundreds of millions of dollars around to host these types of events, I think, I think it's very fair to ask exactly why and exactly, you know, how that's going to be paid for and how it's going to benefit the community. Yep. All right. Picks of the week. Uh, yeah. Chef specials. Yeah. Hmm. I don't, don't know what that means, but I saw that in the notes and I guess we'll, we'll find out here. We, we have to find like either of us has to find a way to rename this segment. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, so we, you know, we hinted at this earlier. So, uh, mine is iPad keyboard related. Um, so to set the context here, I, when I purchased the 10.5 inch iPad pro also did purchase the, uh, smart keyboard for it because I was, I was interested in it. I was intrigued by the idea that at least based on Apple's definition, according to some standard keyboard regulatory body, that the 10.5 inch version of that keyboard was considered a, in air quotes here, full size keyboard. (laughs) Um, I, so I, so I gave that a try and returned it two days later um it's it's just and this is not an original criticism and i i kind of knew this going into it but it was quickly proven out in practice it's just too big and bulky to justify having unless you really do use it all the time like it just it just doesn't make sense as an occasional ipad keyboard user like i very much am to have it be sort of like this permanent fixture on the device whenever you have your smart cover on it. It really does add a lot of weight and bulk to the device. Um, and on top of that, this is a, a mi- kind of a minor nitpicky thing, but obviously one of the things that the smart covers um, most known for and one of its most useful features is you can prop the iPad up on a desk like when you're watching a video or something. And the smart keyboard does that same thing but the angle is slightly different than the the standard smart cover because of the additional bulk of the keyboard and it, it kind of has the ipad at, at an even sharper angle than the regular smart cover does so that was also another kind of huge downside the key feel and everything was was fine um but just again as a as an occasional user just didn't make a lot of sense for me but uh, what I did end up getting, and we'll um, we'll put a link to the notes here, and then I can also send this to you in the thing. Um, Dan Morin had written an, an article about this keyboard, and it just so happened that a couple of days after I had purchased the iPad Pro, that this had gone on an Amazon one-day sale for like $24, $25. Um, so this is the iClever portable foldable keyboard. Um, and it's, it's, it's really great, especially for the price. Um, so basically I guess the, the way to describe this is it's a kind of like an ergonomic looking keyboard where the keyboard's split in half and then the keys kind of, you know, have a, a you know, maybe 20 degree 30 degree angle from each other on the left and right hand side similar to like the microsoft ergo keyboard that we've talked about on the show 
um, which also, in addition to being ergonomical, also allows the keyboard to fold in half for portability, which is really nice and kind of unlike a lot of other iPad keyboard solutions. Um, so, you know, as a, as a very occasional iPad keyboard user, this has been a, um, kind of a, a much better solution for me compared to the, the Apple smart keyboard. Interesting. Yeah. This, this looks pretty cool. Um, I, I am chuckling a little bit at the six colors link here where it shows that there's a windows key on the keyboard. Um, but yeah, no, this looks this looks pretty cool. Well, so it's, that it's, and that's you know, I, so it it does come with complete you know iOS support and you know the instruction manual it comes with talks about its iOS support. But with that being said, it it, it is a a Windows keyboard layout. So, but it's th- it's it's thirty dollars compared to one hundred fifty. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's the like you know, it, I actually think the keys are better. They have, they have a better feel than the smart keyboard. I, as someone who's been using the Microsoft Ergo keyboard for a while now, I'm kind of used to this sort of layout. And the fact that it folds up, unlike a lot of other wireless Bluetooth keyboards that people like for the iPad, like all those things together, along with the price, just kind of make it the, you know, perfect solution for me. Yeah, this this looks super small and very nice. Uh, how does it turn off and on? Is it a key or is it a switch? It's turns on when you unfold it. Hey, that's clever. Mm-hmm. Oh, I clever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty good. Yeah, that's it's it's very good. All right. Oh, that little uh, whatever uh, what's his face uh, Dan has on here, a uh, little um, rubber thing on the Apple pencil that seems smart. Hmm, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um. Cool. Okay, my pick of the week, uh, not a technology-related one, uh, more of a looking for uh, interesting diversions on uh, Apple TV. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever watched it before, but the Larry Sanders show, uh, which was an HBO show in the uh, mid-90s, uh, which is very, very funny, um, is available in its full catalog on HBO Go slash now, because it's celebrating its 25th anniversary, um, is getting more promotion it's a show I haven't thought of in like two decades, but is, is very good and is something that I would recommend people watch uh, if they're looking for an escape from the real world for a little bit. It was one of the, it was a pioneering show and it was one of the first kind of uh, show within a show uh, television programs, kind of in the same format of a 30 Rock, sort of, except uh, 20 years earlier. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's it's super funny. It's probably not everybody's cup of tea. Um but it's it's worth a couple episodes. Yeah, it's they're, they're thirty minutes piece. Yeah, I have I have not seen this. Yeah, pretty good. Always always looking for a good uh, show recommendation though. All right, that's enough. Uh, programming note: we will not be here next week, so please pick a choice episode in the back catalog. Um, yes. <laughs> The, the, um, the extens- extensive, uh, extensive back catalog. Yeah, I think episode 100 was pretty good. Go listen to that again. Yeah, there you go. 